morning, everyone. Rise and shine, right? The Lord is here. Praise God. So, Father, we just come before you in the name of Jesus this morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love and your grace. Holy Spirit, be our teacher this morning. Illuminate your word to our hearts. Grant us victory. Help us to apply your word. We thank you for your love and presence here in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's message, guys, is going to be called, Be on Alert, You May Be Under Attack. Anybody ever drive on the parkway? I, I commute to work. Parkway is my second home, away from home, right? I commute. And you notice those funny signs that come up. Sometimes there's a sign that says, Be on Alert, Accident Ahead. And usually when I see that, even though there's no accidents around me, I just kind of subconsciously kind of get in defense mode. I'm like, I better get ready and wake up here, you know? There might be an accident coming. But imagine if that sign said, be on alert, you may be under spiritual attack. And the awesome thing about God is, is that he, he warns us in the Bible that there's a devil out there. There's an enemy who's out to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's saying, guys, be on alert. So if you can, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says here, be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So a few things in this verse real quick. Number one, we have an enemy. Be aware, be on alert, because your adversary, the devil, walks around seeking who he may devour. Number one, so you have an enemy. Right? And he's kind of lurking around seeking who he can devour. Number two is, uh, like I said, he's actively seeking to devour us. And number three, we are to do something about that. We're to resist him in the faith. Here's the thing, guys, is that we have an enemy. There's a devil on the loose. But it's okay because Jesus defeated him on the cross and gave us the authority in his name to resist him so he doesn't steal, kill, and destroy from us. Amen? So what's awesome is that, you know, John 10.10, we have to know our enemy. You know, if you're in the army or you're fighting warfare, you study warfare in the past, it's super important to study the strategies of your enemy so you can gain the advantage. And Jesus tells us about his character, the character of the enemy in John 10.10. He says, the thief's purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. That's the enemy's purpose. But Jesus' purpose is to give us a rich and satisfying life. So God is a good God. The devil is a bad devil. He's the one that's out to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus is saying, no, there's life in me, and I want you to resist him in the faith. Don't let him take advantage of you. So be on alert. You may be under attack. And the Holy Spirit will notify you as you spend time with him in the word if you're indeed under, the, under attack. So... One thing to realize is this, is that although Jesus defeated Satan on the cross, Satan is still on the loose. And in 1 John 5, 19, it says that we know that we are the children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. You know, everybody is born in this world system that's under the control of the evil one. But the good news is when we make Jesus the Lord of our life, when we trust in him, we're translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. We change kingdoms, amen? So I just want to read that real quick in Colossians 1.13. 
Colossians 1.13 says, For Jesus, or God, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. And here's the key, guys. Satan, Satan can no longer steal, kill, and destroy from you unless you allow him to because you change kingdoms. Amen? He lost his grip on you because your new Lord is Jesus and you're protected in his kingdom. You've been born again by the Spirit of God. You have a new nature. You have the life of God. He's no, no longer, you know, the Lord of your life. Jesus is, and you've been taken out of that kingdom of darkness. So if we have been taken out of that kingdom of darkness, why does he still try to, to attack us? Because a few things. Number one is our ignorance. What I mean by that is we don't know we have authority over him or what Jesus did for us, so we just allow him to punch us around like a punching bag. We have no idea that we, we have authority over him and that we can resist him. So I heard someone say once that the devil's success depends on your ignorance of who you are in Christ Jesus. Amen? He doesn't want you to know all that Jesus has provided for you through his death, burial, and resurrection. He doesn't want you to know that greater is he that's in you than he is in the world. He doesn't want you to know that you have the name above every name, the name of Jesus, to resist them. He wants to keep you in this bubble of religion where he smacks you around until you get to heaven. But God's saying, no, I've given you my spirit. I've given you my name. I've transferred you out of his kingdom into my kingdom, and I want you to step and trample him under your feet. Amen? We have the authority. We are to resist them. We're to say, no, devil, you leave me alone. You leave my family alone. You get out of my mind. These are not my thoughts in Jesus' name. And you quote the, you quote the word of God, and we'll get into that in a second. Number two, another way the enemy can gain access to us, even though we've been transferred out of his kingdom, is through our sin and habitual disobedience, which opens the door to his attacks. Remember, the scriptures tells us not to give place to the devil or give him a stronghold in your life. He's roaming around, seeking who he may devour to try to find a crack in your armor. We've been given the armor of God, Ephesians 6 tells us. But he's looking for that crack in your armor to penetrate and, and bring havoc into your life. I had to pause so I could sink in a little bit. All right. Praise the Lord. So, I just want to read this. Jesus stripped Satan of his authority over us through his death, burial, and resurrection. However, the devil is a thief. He tries to tempt us, right? He tempts us to sin. He wants to sever our relationship with God and others, and he feeds us lies and deception. That's his greatest tool, is throwing those fiery darts into our minds to deceive us. And the devil can't do anything about your salvation, your faith in Christ. You know, when he sees you, he's like, oh, man, I, I lost them. They're going to heaven. Son of a gun, they, they're, they're, they're out of my grip. But you know what? I'm going to keep them in a state of defeat so that they don't tell other people about Jesus. And they don't be a witness and be the light of the world like Jesus said. I'm going to keep them in a state of bondage and defeat, circling around the wilderness until they get to heaven. So they're, they're not a threat to my kingdom. But Jesus says, no, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. We're to, be, we're to be victorious in Christ Jesus. Amen? We should be out there preaching the gospel, praying for the sick, taking care of the poor, and victory. And one of the biggest signs is our joy. 
You know, the, the biggest, and we'll get to it in a second, but the devil wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your peace. He wants to dim the light of God in you. So, <clears throat> again, he can't, he can't do anything about our salvation, but he wants to keep us in a state of defeat. So the devil and his demonic um, army, they have strategies and assignments against us. He is persistent and calculating enemy. The, see, the devil and his demons knew you from the time you were born and observed you and, and know your weakness. We all have weaknesses. We all have things we tend to go to in our lives. Whether it's negativity, certain sinful habits, they see that. And their job is to tempt you to continue to fall into it so it can become a stronghold. Their job is to enforce that weakness to where it keeps you in bondage. But Jesus has set us free. We're to resist him and say, no, that's not who I am any, anymore. I'm not going to take heed to your temptation. You know what temptation is? It's a scenario created sometimes by our, our own thoughts and desires, but by the enemy. It's a scenario created by the enemy to cause us to sin. But you can say no to that. Temptation is not a sin. It's when you act on it. So don't beat yourself over the head and feel guilty if you have all these crazy thoughts. You know, you're driving the highway and you just want to get out and smack someone in the face. That's just a temptation. All right, that's not the sin. The sin is saying to yourself, no, that's not my thought. Lord, bless that man. I'm going to walk in patience right now. Amen. So he is a strategist. He is a strategist. So in Ephesians 6.11, it says this. Ephesians 6.11 it says, put on all of God's armor so that you will, you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. So the devil is, again, he has strategies against you. He's plotting against you. So we are to be aware of that. Number two is not only does he have strategies, but he's after your shield of faith. He's after your faith because if your shield of faith is not up, the fiery darts of the enemy can hit your heart and mind and deceive you. Look at Ephesians 6.16, please. Ephesians 6.16 says, In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. He's throwing darts at your head. Look what happened to, to Adam and Eve in the garden. When he tempted Eve, you know what he told Eve? He questioned the word of God and God's command by saying, did God indeed say, if you eat of this, you shall surely die? So he caused her to doubt his word. So the enemy throughout your day in life is throwing darts in your head and in your heart of doubt and unbelief and deception and lies. And we have to be on guard against those things because he has a strategy. <clears throat> All right, so it brings us to our, our next big point. And then we're going to talk about ways the enemy takes advantage of us by certain emotions we allow to linger in our heart. So the enemy takes advantage of us when we allow the following feelings and emotions to linger in our hearts. However, the Bible says we're not to be ignorant of his schemes and allow him to take advantage of us. We're to be on alert at all times. Why? Because you may be under attack. Be on alert. You may be under attack. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. 
Now, the Apostle Paul is writing here, and he's talking to the, the Corinthians. He's saying, when you forgive this man, I forgive him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority for your benefit. And notice this. Look what he says. So that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. So he's saying again, guys, this man, I'm going to forgive him too. We're going to walk in forgiveness here, guys, because we know if we don't, the enemy's going to take advantage of us, okay? We're not ignorant of his devices. We know he's working in this situation. We're not going to allow him to work in this situation because we're not ignorant of his devices. We're familiar with his schemes. I like how the NIV says, verse 11, it says, in order that Satan may not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his of his schemes. See, the enemy is trying to outsmart you. But we're to be smarter than the enemy and be aware that he's working and we're not going to allow him to have a foothold in our lives. And again, in, in the New King James of that verse, it says, lest Satan, least sh- uh, Satan should take advantage of us, we are not ignorant of his devices. We are not to be an ignorant people in regards to the enemy and his strategies. We're to be on alert and resist them in the faith because he roams around like a lion seeking who he may devour, so we're going to resist him. I'm not saying we're to be devil conscious and, and there's a devil behind every bush in our lives, but when you know there's an attack, you resist him in the name of Jesus. Don't take that thought as your thought. Just because you think it doesn't mean it's you. You say in the name of Jesus, I cast that thought down in Jesus' name. That's not who I am. That's not who that person is. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you quote the word of God as the Spirit illuminates it to you to defeat the enemy. Don't just passively entertain every thought that comes in your head that's not of God. Amen? Don't be driven by your emotions. One, one moment you're rejoicing God, the next moment you're, you're down in the dumps because it's, you know, raining outside or something. You know? But I'm not going to let the devil steal my joy. Rain or shine, storm or beautiful weather, I'm consistent in the Lord because he's consistent in me. He's steady in me. I will not be shaken. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. So these are the following feelings or emotions or things that happen to us that the enemy can take advantage of. Now, these things are not sin sin of themselves. Uh, Some of them are. But if you let them linger, you don't repent of them, the enemy can take advantage of you. We saw the first one is offense. We just read about it. Paul said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forgive this person because if I don't, the enemy is going to take advantage of us. And we're not ignorant of his devices. So we're to walk in forgiveness. And if you have offense, remember the enemy is a thief. You know what he does? When you walk in an offense, his objective is to quench the fruit of love in you. To quench the love of God in you. Because he knows if you're not walking in love... Your faith cannot operate the way God intended to because in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, you know, though I have the tongues of angels, though I I give my body, you know, as a sacrifice for people, though I give to the poor and I have not love, it profits me nothing. God's not so concerned of your actions. He's concerned about your love walk. And so the enemy is trying to steal your love walk and keep you in a state of bitterness, keep you in a state of unforgiveness so that you hinder the love flow from your life. And it blocks the blessing of God from coming in. So he's after love, your love walk. 
Okay, so if there's any offense, don't let it linger. You repent of it because if you let it linger, he's going to take advantage of you and make the situation worse and bring you down that path of bitterness that you don't want to be in. So allow the Holy Spirit to cleanse you from offense as you repent before him. That's one way he takes advantage of us. This next one, which I want to camp on a little bit, is discontentment. Discontentment. It's lack of satisfaction with one's possessions, status, relationships. You are never happy until things go according to the way you want them to or in the timetable you want them to. When, when you allow discontentment in your heart, you're, saying, you're basically saying, God, I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. And you have a, a bad attitude about life. You're, you're mad at, at your, your spouse or relationships because they're not where they need to be or, or your job or everything in life going on. God, I should be here at this time in, in this point in my life. What's going on? And you just become discontent. You know what happens when you become discontent? You start complaining. Anybody know any complainers? I don't. You guys know? Complaining all the time. This doesn't work. This, this stinks. When it's ever going to go my way? Uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, shh. Is there any gratitude in there? You know, is there any thanksgiving? Listen, we all go through that, all right? So we got to stop ourselves, you know. And sometimes, you know, I'm married. Sometimes I'm dependent on my wife. Sometimes be like, hey, simmer down now. Relax. Be thankful. And we help each other that way. So, so if someone's complaining around you and you have a relationship and say, hey, let's be thankful here, okay? So discontentment, you know what Satan's objective of that is? He's out to steal your joy and your patience. Joy, the joy of the Lord is a powerful thing. And, and the enemy knows that the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's your spiritual strength, your physical strength. When you're joyful, nothing can bring you down. But when you're dissatisfied or depressed or down or discouraged, it sucks the life out of you. It sucks away your faith and, and, and your joy in the Lord. So he's out to steal your joy by making you focus on the things you don't have rather on the things that you do have. And you're thankful that God's in your life. You know, sometimes when I, there's nothing else in the world that I could be thankful about or it seems that way. I always go back to the cross. And I say, God, right now, it doesn't seem like I can thank you for anything because things are going crazy in my life. But I want to thank you for dying for me on the cross. I want to thank you that you gave me eternal life. I want to thank you that heaven is my home. I want to thank you for my wife and my kids and my car that I drive to work and my job. Lord, I thank you for this weather. I thank you for what you're doing in my life. I tell you what, you do that in faith consistently. The joy of the Lord is going to rise up to where everything around you is going to seem bleak in comparison to who God is. And then you get to a point where you can say, God, I trust you. God, I know you're going to turn this around. And I, I'm good, my eyes are going to be on you, and I'm going to be content. I'm going to be satisfied. In fact, I'm going to quote Psalm 63, 3 through 6. And, and Devil, are you listening? Because I'm saying this in front of you too. And I'm just role-playing how I do things, okay? God, you satisfy me. You are my satisfaction. I will praise you as long as I live. Lifting up my hands to you in prayer, you satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. Hallelujah. 
It has nothing to do with what's going on around you. Like I said, things are falling down. Things are going nuts. But you're saying, God, you know what? I trust you. You're first place. I believe your word. I believe your character. And you satisfy me. You satisfy me. I may not have the house I want right now. I'm, my kids are acting crazy, and I wish they were just serving the Lord. But you know what? I'm, you satisfy me, and I know you're working in their lives. I know you're working in my job. I know you're working in my ministry and calling. I know you're working in my health. I trust you. I'm satisfied with you, Lord. Amen? It will change your whole life perspective, and the enemy will not t- be able to take advantage of you. Amen? Hallelujah. You guys are welcome to say amen, you know. If you're convicted, say, oh, me, whatever, whatever you want. Okay, so in Philippians 4.11, we are instructed to be content in whatever state we're in. You know, Paul said, I know how to be content when I have, you know, when I have an abundance or lack. Paul was a guy who was constantly being persecuted for preaching the gospel. He knew how to live having without, you know, he was in lack and he had an abundance, but he was constantly content in the Lord. Now, being content doesn't mean you, you still don't believe God for greater and better things. You want to do that. You want to look forward. You want to dream. You want better things in your life. You want to trust God for those things. It's, it's being joyful and patient in the process. And not only is he after your joy, but he's after your patience. Now, patience, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit, actually underguards or, or goes under, carries your faith while you're waiting. So patience keeps you in a state of satisfaction and peace while you wait for God's answer. So he's after your patience. When, God, when? I want it now. What's going on? And then when we don't get it our way, the enemy, whisp- enemy whispers like, I would blame God if I were you. I guess he doesn't love you. I guess he's not coming through. I guess all this is a lie. He fe- and those are those arrows he throws in your head, right? Notice when things go wrong, we never like look at the, blame the devil. We're always like, why God, what's going on? I thought you said you love me. I thought you promised this in your word. God's like, listen, I love you. And the enemy's like, yes, keep going. You're good. Yeah, I told you. Why don't you be your own God? Why, why don't you do your own thing? So he wants you to give up on the faith by throwing these doubts in your head. So we're not ignorant of his devices. He's after, he's constantly attacking the character and nature of Almighty God who's good to us. Amen? I don't know about you, but God didn't have to become a man, suffer and die for you to redeem you from the hand of the enemy. He did it out of love. He did it out of love. Again, always go back to the cross and it puts everything in perspective. What a good God he is. Amen? I may not have what I want right now. I may never get it. But you know what, God? The cross is sufficient. Your salvation is sufficient. You are good all the time. Amen? It's like Job said, though you slay me, God, I'm still going to trust you. There's nothing that can keep me from trusting in your goodness because I love you with all my heart. Amen? For me, God is not a religion. God's not a concept. God's a person who I've met through Jesus. He's, he's alive and he's well. He's changed my heart. 
I can always go back to the point in time where he met me and I received him as my Lord and Savior and he changed me from the inside out. I have a relationship with me. And if you're here coming to tell me that God's not good, he doesn't exist, he's not coming through, that his word is not valid, you're too late because I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And that's my prayer for us this morning, that you would taste. Once you taste the Lord, there's no going back. You don't want that stuff anymore. You don't want that old lifestyle anymore, that, that craziness. I've tasted of Jesus. I've tasted of the Lord, and he's good. Yeah, but, you know, you pray, and this didn't happen, or, you know, this is going on in your life. Listen, it's all good, because he works all things together for my good. In fact, it's like David said. He said, I would have, I would have fainted unless I would have believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Listen, I'm not going to faint. I'm not going to give up because I still believe I'm going to see God's goodness. I'm going to be satisfied. I'm going to be content in the Lord. So it's time for us to rise up when we're under attack and be aggressive with our faith and resisting the enemy. We all love pity parties. I love pity parties. But oftentimes when I send invitations, no one comes. It's just me. And the only person that crashes it is the Lord. He's saying, hey, get up. What are you doing? All right? So there's none of that, all right? <laughs> Just trust in the Lord. Get into the book of Psalms, and, you know, David often, you know, he was complaining, crying out to God, but then he always went back to the Lord. It's okay to tell God your emotions, but go back to his word. Amen? All right. <clears throat> I won't keep you guys too much longer. Disappointment, disappointment and discouragement. Disappointment and discouragement. So with discouragement, Satan, Satan's objective is to steal our faith and trust in God. He's out, you know, we all get discouraged sometimes. We all, again, things don't go according to how we want them to. We're discouraged. And I'm reminded of this Psalm, in Psalm 138, two through four. It says, I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and faithfulness for your promise are backed by all the honor of your name. As soon as I pray, you answer me. You encourage me by giving me strength. Again, the enemy will try to take advantage when you're discouraged, when you're, when you're down in the dumps. He wants to throw those firing darts in your head to keep you in the state of discouragement and again to deplete your faith and trust in the Lord, to steal your joy, to keep you in a, in a state of just not responding to God or, or in victory. But here's the thing. You know what's the remedy against discouragement? It's praise. Praise. Out loud praise. Not like, like this. You know, sometimes, you know, there's a place for cont contemplative prayer, but there's times where you just got to out loud praise God in front of God, his angels, and the devil so he can hear you. And it will drive him away. Okay? It's like walking in from a battle and you're wounded. And you go into your room and you're limping. And you put down your staff and you just raise your hands and you say, God, you are good and I praise you and I love you and I thank you. And you make sure no one else is looking and you start dancing a little bit. Okay? You start... You start rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoice, I say, in the Lord. It's okay, no one's looking. I've done it before. So rejoice in God on purpose. And that gets the enemy mad. He's like, why are they rejoicing? 
Why are they praising? This was supposed to destroy them. This was supposed to set them back. In fact, this was supposed to have them quit going to Bible study and church and hanging out with, with the guys and learning about me. What's going on? But you say by faith, God, I don't understand what's going on right now. I thought when I gave my life to you, things were going to be a little easier, but things are going crazy right now. It's okay. You're under attack, but we can resist the enemy. And you say to God, God, I'm going to praise you on purpose. Out loud. Out loud. It's time we become vocal Christians. We're vocal everywhere else, right? You hear what so-and-so did to me today at work, you're vocal, you know? Or when you're watching that football game and you're excited, you're vocal, right? <laughs> when we get to church, like, shh, God is here, you know? Be loud in the Lord. It's just an expression of your faith. The, the Christianity is called the great confession. We're to tell people, Jesus is alive. He's Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, be joyful. Be excited. Express it by faith. Sometimes you're not going to feel like it. You know, King David, uh, there was a time where the enemy came in into the camp, this, this group of people, and they took away his family and his possessions. He was left with just this group of guys and they were attacking him and they were saying like, what's going on? And it says that David had to encourage himself in the Lord. There's times where you have to encourage yourself in the Lord and praise him on purpose and trust in his faithfulness. Can I challenge you to praise him on purpose? For real, if, if, you, if you're commuting or you're home, the kids are in school, to start praising him out loud. And it's okay to sing along to a song, but I encourage you, once that song is done, just let the praise spontaneously come from your heart and start thanking him. You'll, and you'll be surprised how the Holy Spirit flows in your heart and just fills you with his love and his presence as you praise him. You know why the Bible says magnify the Lord as an expression of praise? Magnify means to make bigger than anything else. When you praise God, you make him bigger than what you're going through. And don't wait to things to, for, to be bad to praise him. Praise him when things are good. Just praise him because he's God. And that will be a remedy for discouragement and disappointment. Again, discouragements are going to come. Offenses are going to come. All these things happen because it's life. It may happen this afternoon, but don't let them steal your joy and don't let the enemy take advantage of you. Disappointment, defeated in expectation and hope, you know, Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know, sometimes we're hoping for things that doesn't happen in, in the way we want it to, and we, we're disappointed. And the enemy can come in and attack you when you're disappointed instead of running to God and, and seeking him in it. Maybe you didn't get the promote, promotion that you wanted. Your relationship, your relationship didn't turn out right, right? Or whatever it is. That deal didn't go well, that business deal. You're like, man, I... I pretty certain I heard from God in that one and it didn't go your way and then doubt comes in right the fiery darts and you got to resist that and trusting in God and finally guys <clears throat> disillusionment meaning a feeling of being disappointed and unhappy because of discovering the truth about something or someone you liked or respected you guys ever like trusted someone perhaps it was uh, I don't know, like a minister or a close friend, you thought they were like good people and then they betrayed you? Or, or you found something about their lifestyle that didn't line up. You're like, what's going on? And just like, really? 
especially in Christian circles, if you know of a well-known minister who falls, you're like, man, if he can't do it, how can I, you know, serve God? And the enemy's like, yeah, it's true. How can you, right? You know, and, but as far as the enemy's perspective, he wants you to be disappointed in God. So you can question his goodness and his integrity and his character. So if he, if he can get you to that place, he, he, again, he'll siphon out, he'll try to deplete you of your faith in God. So finally, guys, as, our, as we close, I just want to talk about how do you take authority over the enemy? How do you take authority over the enemy? It's simply this. And for the sake of time, I'll just um, to talk about it. But in Matthew 4, 1 through 4, and in Ephesians 6, 17, we see in Matthew particularly Jesus being tempted, tempted in the wilderness by the devil. And these are real temptations. It wouldn't be a temptation if Jesus wouldn't have you know, been able to give in to him. So they were real. And Satan came three times to tempt Jesus with three specific things. And you know how Jesus resisted him? He said, it is written. And he quoted three scriptures from the book of Deuteronomy that we know of Deuteronomy. Because remember, Jesus knew the word of God at the time, which is what we call the Old Testament today. That was God's word for them and is still God's word. And Jesus used that to resist the enemy. And if Jesus used it to resist the enemy, we're to use God's word to resist them. That's why it's so important to spend time studying the scriptures, looking into them, and allowing the Holy Spirit to bring them alive into our hearts. And it's not just a formula of quoting scriptures. In Ephesians 6.17, it says, take on the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And that, that Greek word, word of God, in other places is logos, which is the written word. But when you read in Ephesians, that Greek word means the spoken word of God. So you got to meditate on the scriptures until the scriptures illuminate in your heart. When the Holy Spirit makes them alive, and when the Holy Spirit makes those scriptures alive, that's the scriptures you use against the enemy. You know, there was a time in my life when I struggled with, struggled with anxiety and fear and uncertainty, and I went to the Psalms and I kept re- reading it until certain scriptures that said, I will not be moved, I will not be shaken, just popped out at me. I knew then that my sword was being sharpened, and I was going to use that word as my sword against the enemy. Devil, it is written. Amen? So you resist them with the word of God. Out of your mouth, out loud. Amen? I'm going to forgive this person in Jesus' name. In fact, I'm, this is my, me thinking, right? I'm about to go to that party, and so someone's going to be there. Every time I see him, my blood pressure rises. But you know what, God? Your word says that your love has been shed upon my heart. And Lord, I forgive him. I have forgiven him. I'm going to love him on purpose. I'm going to bless him. You walk in there, you see him, and you have the fakest smile in your life on your face. And you feel the emotions rising up. You say, nope, I forgive you. God bless you, man. How's everything going? Don't pay attention. Your emotions are going to rise up. But what supersedes your emotion? The reality of God's word. The truth of who you are in Christ Jesus. I choose to forgive you. I choose not to be disappointed. I choose not to be discouraged, God. I trust you. These things are real. They're happening right now. This is how I feel. I'm telling you about them. But I'm coming back to you. I'm coming back to your word. So if we can, please, 
um, if the worship team can come up. I want to lead you guys in a prayer of taking authority over the enemy over our lives. And as the worship team makes their way up here, I want to read one last scripture. Notice how he's out to steal, kill, and destroy. And we, we mentioned some things, right? He's out to steal the love in our hearts. He's out to steal the peace of God. He's out to um, question the goodness of God, the joy of the Lord. What's awesome is, in reality, he cannot really steal them because they're in you. The moment you got born again, and the Bible calls these things the fruit of the Holy Spirit in you. They're in you. He just wants to try to quench them and keep them suppressed because that's who you are. Amen? So Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of faith in our lives. Love. Say, I have love. Joy. I have joy. Peace. I have peace. Patience. I have patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And self-control. Amen. If we could stand, please. We're going to end with this song about the name of Jesus. So not only can you resist the enemy with the word of the living God, but you can resist them in the name above every name, the name of Jesus. So can you guys say this with me? With authority. Okay, wait, I'm sorry. Repeat this with authority. Okay, say, devil. Take your hands off my life. You have no place in me. You have no place in my family. You have no place in my job or school. Or in my finances. I resist you in the name of Jesus. The name above every name. I bind your operation. I cancel all your assignments against me. I am a servant and child of the Most High God. And I have been redeemed from the hand of the enemy. I'm more than a conqueror. Through him, through Jesus, who delivered me and loves me. Amen and amen. Praise God. So as we sing this song in closing, declare his name. It is his name that gives you victory. Amen.